0: It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda, and I am your host today. And we are bringing some great information to you about franchising. We have a great person with us today, Tom Spadia, who is a franchise attorney. But if you've never listened to the show before, this is all about franchising. Everything you want to know, how to buy a franchise, how to sell a franchise, how to turn your business into a franchise, which is Tom's specialty, actually. And so we are all about franchising. It's a one-stop shop for everything that you need. So if you're looking at franchising and you need help, please reach out and uh, let's have a conversation. I might be able to help you with validation, talking to franchise owners, and all the stuff that needs to get done, including reviewing of a franchise agreement, which is Tom Spadia's forte. So um, today I have with me Tom Spadia from Spadia Liana. Um, It's a franchise firm out of Philadelphia. They work nationally and um, I think internationally with franchise companies, helping companies to go from a one-unit, two-unit mom-and-pop to national Recognized franchise brand, Tom. I want to welcome you in. How are you? Great, thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, this is so fantastic. So,
1: even before you got into law, you were involved in franchising. Is that right? I was. So, I've had the law firm for ten years now, and I, we started it, um, you know, right when I was out of law school, and and before that, I sold franchises for a couple of different big brands. And uh, and I got into selling franchises from being actually a franchise consultant and broker the, about 20. So I've been in the franchising space for about 20 years, half of that time selling. I like the joke. I'm one of the few, if any, franchise attorneys that paid for law school by selling franchises during the day while I went at night.
0: You are probably the only one, the only one I know, <laughs> i for sure. I think so. That is just fantastic. Um, and you're based in Philly, but well, I know you're national. Do you help with international
1: as well? We do I mean most of the international we have a number of international clients, most of it are brands who are overseas who want to come into the United States. We do have a number of emerging brands, which is really where we play. most of our our clients are are you know under a hundred units um, and a number of them have gone overseas and so we'll help them go overseas so yeah if it's if it's franchising we're we're in the mix somehow. Why should somebody consider franchising their business? You know, that's a, that's a great question, a question that I, I talk about a lot. I mean, the, the big answer is, you know, look, we're all, we're all in business, right? I, I like the joke. I'm an attorney, but I'm not really keeping people out of jail or defending your First Amendment rights. I mean, we're here to give you an ROI, to help give you a pathway towards some level of wealth. A franchisee is looking to build a business to, let's say, pay for their kid's college, you go into franchising and you become a franchisor to pay for your grandkids college you're going in for the big play it's to get incremental growth you know I, people call me and say hey, i want to franchise my business i have a couple units and you know i always say look if your goal is to double or triple your income don't franchise me. you know read the e myth, get a couple managers open up another location but if you want a shot at 10 20 50x that's where franchising—it's much closer to sort of a software play than it is just a growing your business. You you step into a new industry, and and that's what we like to kind of help guide people towards getting into that industry uh, in the on the franchisor side of things.
0: I, I love that explanation. I never heard that before. Um, the the children and the grandchildren analogy. Um, I'm really good friends with Harold Kestenbaum, who works with you yeah um, franchise firm uh he has a great book out about franchising your business and and he talks about those kind of relationships you know a lot of times it's like i, I think what i read i read it a long time ago now but he said something to the effect of uh, when when you start a franchise it's it's like marrying into a family that to to a person that has six kids and they're
1: all whiny <laughs> so well that said it's 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 a relate. Well, Harold is my partner and uh, we've been working together about three years now, and he is the guru of franchising. I mean, Harold has, he has forgotten what he has forgotten more in franchising than most people know. And, uh, and I agree. And I've, I've learned from him and and have watched him with the clients and, and that's it. It's, it's a, it's a relationship business. You know, we can write the documents and we can give you legal documents, but at, at the end of the day, A good franchisor is someone who can manage those relationships, manage expectations, and really be a coach and a teacher um, for their franchisees to be successful. That's exactly right. And I know Howard also says if you're looking at franchising your
0: business and you love your business, you probably shouldn't franchise because you're not going to be in that business anymore. But now you're in franchise sales and support, not making cupcakes or fixing cars or whatever it is that you love to do for business.
1: Well, and even if you, if you love it and you are spending too much time in it, you know, many times we'll tell people, look, if you're spending 50, 60 hours a week, making cupcakes or fixing cars, you're not ready. Your business itself has to be looked at almost as the first franchise. You have to teach someone else how to run that business day to day. Then you can turn your attention and, and focus on becoming a franchisor.
0: So on on that note, Tom, a question I I really always think about is what makes somebody or a franchise, what makes a business ready for franchising? Is there any thresholds or any kind of rules or regulations that they need to follow so you could say, oh, yeah, okay, you're
1: ready to franchise now. This is, you know, or is it subjective? Well, I'd say the rules and regulations are kind of step two. Um, you know, that's obviously what we help with. You should have a federal trademark and all the stuff. You need an FDD, a franchise disclosure document. But I wouldn't, I always tell people don't focus on that. Think of the soft part, the business part. I mean, you need a successful business that is scalable. I always like to say, if your sales, if you're able to generate a reasonable income in a in a close geography, that's kind of a rule. Isn't it? Yeah, there are exceptions, but you know, restaurants are a good example. But they're probably only a third of the franchisors out there. Service businesses, it's it's boots on the ground. What franchisors are looking for isn't necessarily money. Even though you got to write the fifty thousand dollar check and you're like, I'm spending all this money. The reality is, franchisors are chasing the human capital. They're chasing that skilled leader and and recruiter and someone who's going to Execute the business model at the local level. So, if your business, if you're within a one county or two county area, generating a million dollars in revenue and you know putting 100, 200 grand in your pocket, you know if you have a business like mine, isn't really franchisable. I have clients all over. I have clients in Texas. I can do Zoom, great. What COVID taught us. But I've always been like that. It wouldn't. It doesn't. It, there's no advantage for me to open an office in Texas. I can service those clients just as well. So that's how a franchisor should be thinking. What's the local component? You know, they're going to know something about Cleveland, Ohio, that the franchisor in Philadelphia is not going to know. Now, maybe this is a business that's franchisable because it's going to be easier and better and more efficient. So it's really about efficiency long term.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And also, to be honest and blunt, it's if you're a business and you want to franchise, what you're doing is expanding with other people's money. Yeah, you know,
1: I mean, that's, that's, to be honest about it, that's, that's how I well, feel. It, it, so I'll take the flip side though, to say that you're, you're also leaving the line share of the profit on the table and the risk. So it's other people's money. So you're shifting the risk, but you're only taking your small sliver of that royalty. You're taking that 6% or 7% that you still have to produce, whereas a good small business can be making, you know, double digit percentages returns. So you're shifting the risk, but you're also, you know, shifting away some of those profits.
0: Right. So it's really a symbiotic relationship and everyone's helping each other, which the good one as a franchise owner, that's what I loved about it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And the franchise wars, you know, for the franchisees that are looking into that business, that's what they need to research. How is that relationship? You know, how is the franchisor when things don't quite go as planned? are they picking up the phone or are you getting a letter from a lawyer because if you're getting a letter from the lawyer on the first act you know might sound ironic coming from a lawyer but that's probably not a franchise or you want to be involved with and we coach that hey look you don't want to come out guns blazing you know you got to get empathy behind it you're the coach and so you as a franchise or have to take ownership of the when maybe it didn't get communicated so well maybe they don't quite understand what you meant you know what's why aren't they complying to your satisfaction go back. And now there are outliers and you do have to get tough sometimes, but for the most part, you know, you, you they are the good relationships and and the franchisees in those find more success, I believe.
0: Do you think that um, the smaller, newer emerging franchises are less kind of stringent with like the rules and coming at you with an attorney, as opposed to the big brands, you know, the names that we all know across the country where, you know, you're just, your store is really just a number they don't really know you. There's not really a personality. There's no connection. And they're more likely just to send a letter because you didn't hit the benchmark royalties or
1: whatever. You know, I think it can, I think it can cut both sides, but sometimes we have emerging brands that they don't have the maturity and they look at their contract and like, but they're not allowed to do that. How come they did that? And they think that they're a giant brand that has all this weight. And you got to kind of coach them down and say, yeah, I know they're not allowed to do that, but let's, you know, let's have a conversation before we go guns blazing. So sometimes I have found that sometimes the newer brands are a little more aggressive where they shouldn't be because they think a little bit, they don't quite understand it. And a mature brand is going to be like, well, you know, we get it. Now, the difference is the rules have solidified. You know, if you've been around for 15 years franchising and you have a couple hundred units or a thousand units, the rules have really solidified. So you can say with a little bit more certainty, look, you're out of bounds because we know this is out of bounds. We've run. So a, a newer system can be a little bit more of the of the wild west um, with. But you also have a direct line. So I, I, I tell people it's there's no good or bad answer, just like people. And I'm sure, Tom, this happens to you. You go to a family reunion or a college reunion, or you you, know, you go see some of your your buddies, and they're like, "Tell me, Tom, what's the best franchise out there? I know you know. What's the what's the best one?" And I, you know, I give the lawyer answer. It depends because it's a personality fit. So there are some people who really want tighter guardrails. Maybe they came from big corporate, maybe the military, and they need to. They want to. They really want to be told what to do every day you know, the difference in a big system is a more detailed operations manual, but you're not going to talk to the CEO. You join a brand with five, they, you know, they may have a lot of stuff written on paper, but they haven't figured out the training system. But what you get is you get human access. I mean, I think personally, I would be better in a five unit. I'm a people person. I'd rather have the conversation. So there's really no right answer. It's just, um, that's what you need to learn in your investigation. Right. And you need to kind of do
0: a little uh, Self-in-in in inflection about what is yes. going to be right for you because what's right for me is not right for you. And yeah. I, and I, I give the non-lawyer answer when somebody asks me the question about the franchise. I said, well, it depends. But it's like saying who's the best-looking person in Hollywood. It depends. One might like a blonde. One might like a brunette. One likes one that cooks. One, you know. So
1: it's like there's <laughs> no right answer. That's a great. That's a great. There's no right answer. It really depends. They have to go through this search. And, and the same thing on the franchisor, you know, it's funny, the risk profile is a lot different on the sometimes franchisors, when they get to 10 or 20 units, their first three franchisees are the biggest pain in the whole system, because they have this like mindset that they own the brand, like, hey, we were with you when you were nothing. And so they, they sometimes feel sometimes it's like, look, maybe you should just sell because we we're in a different place of where we were. So yeah, no, it, it depends. Yeah. It's, it's funny. If you, you probably know, so my first
0: franchise that I purchased was something called Maui, Waui smoothies back in 2000. Yeah. Right. So you might even know Michael Haith, who, who was the CEO back then. And he'll tell you stories. If you ever run into him at a meeting, I used to call him every damn day. <laughs> every day.
1: <laughs> Cause you just wanted to know you were searched for knowledge, right? You're like, I just right. want to, Oh, I just, so, um, but that's, what's great about this business is that, you know, I, Franchisors have to know that that's their business. You know, They have created something that worked for them. And now their business is trying to teach someone to do it the way they did it, or maybe a little more improved. And you're paying for their mistakes. I'm sure Michael made a lot of mistakes that you were trying to make sure you didn't make. And that's what got you to the next level. And it's just this evolution. And the franchisees, I always say, look, go into it knowing you're, you're renting a business model. And there's nothing wrong with that. So how much money? All those questions that they ask, hey, you're not buying an apartment building with a straight ROI. Nobody knows. You're getting a business model with a lot of the unknowns worked out, a lot of the risk worked out, but there's still unknowns and there's still risk. And you know what the biggest unknown is? How's a franchisee going to be as a business owner? Nobody knows that until they get out because there's so much. You know, some people have fear of being in business. And they freeze. They don't know what to do. They they they're used to being in this corporate. So they have to take a real long soul search of that. And and, you know, they just need to execute, you know. Right. Which is, is
0: I mean, that's what it comes down to, is just execute. And and it's funny because I come from like a government job going into franchising. And as I took like a uh, disk profile test as an example it said the last thing you should do is be in business or, or be in sales um, <laughs> and, and you know but I bought the franchise anyway and you know in my second year I became franchisee of the year and it just with the production because failure was not an option that was it I had to do it whatever right. it was I had to do it and I, and I loved it I worked harder than I ever did in my life but I loved every minute of it and I wouldn't change it at all. Not a minute of that. But, um, but I want to get back to, to uh, franchise law, because um, that's why I had you on. So yeah. <laughs> so, well, what do you like about being a, a franchise attorney? What, what
1: kind of lights your fire? You know what lights my fire is dealing with entrepreneurs. I, I, um, you know, so we've been in in business 10 years now, and we've sort of gone narrower and deeper. I mean, most of you know, we represent a few hundred franchise or brands, mostly emerging, you know, our goal is to help them get to private equity cash out great, but that's a different animal. You know, I when we started, we, we represented a couple of banks. We were doing SBA closed names. I've, I've never represented governments, but I'm sure governments are just like the SBA. No one can make a decision. It's all by committee, and their decision is risk aversion. And so what I love about the area law we practice is we deal with decision makers. These are you know entrepreneurs. They've bet absolutely everything. They're not afraid of risk. In fact, sometimes they're too comfortable with risk. And our job is to give them. So we give them guardrails. Our job is to say, look, I know you're going to make a million decisions. We want to give you good guardrails. We're preparing you for the future. It's why you and I talked before, we've invested in software. We've invested in, in a team approach. We have client relations people, kind of like software companies who they're not their lawyer or they're paralegal, but they're an additional layer of resource. And you know, we don't bill hourly because entrepreneurs, are not going to call you if you bill hourly because they don't want to see $75 on the bill. You're not allowed to tell them jokes anymore or ask about their kids because they don't want to get six-minute increments. So we've re-engineered the process. And, and I think to the direct answer, what I love most is our clients, these entrepreneurs who have literally bet everything. And I've had a few. I mean, we have the fortune of being in here 10 years. I've had people we've started with that could literally barely pay their legal bills. They could barely get the FDD over the finish line. And they just muscled through, they executed, they got the right franchisees. And these guys are sitting on 20, $30 million businesses. Some of them who have exited, man, that's personal satisfaction that we, we we were a part of that journey for them. And, and um, it's great. I love it. It's really enjoyable. So fantastic.
0: So As a franchise attorney, your whole life revolves around something they call the franchise
1: disclosure document. Is that right? It is the FDD. The FDD. So so the FDD, if you're on the franchisee piece of it, it's a data point. It's information. So you know the best way to describe it. It's probably a anywhere from a two to three hundred page document. Half of it is you know so sixty to eighty pages of it. Beginning is a disclosure. It's twenty three items. It explains apples to apples. Have you ever been bankrupt? Have you ever done this? What's the expenses to get in? So it's kind of this Venn diagram, you know, two intersecting circles, the disclosure part of it, and then the actual franchise agreement in the back end. And it's really a protection for both parties. So the rule is it protects franchisees because it levels the information playing field. It gives franchisees enough information to make an informed decision. The background, most important item is 20 has every franchisee listed. They got to pick up the phone and call. And it gives you kind of a thumbnail sketch of their stuff about the revenue and that. But I always tell people, don't get into the weeds on the numbers. It's the relationship part of it. It's the, it's the what you need to know about how they are. You know, Are they having a lot of lawsuits with their franchisees? These kind of things. And so we write that and that protects the franchisee because it gives them information. However, one thing franchisees get wrong is that that's not the most important document for them. The most important document for a franchisee is the franchise agreement, which is an exhibit. And because you know a third of what's in the franchise agreement is replayed in the FDD, they run out of steam, and they don't read the franchise agreement because it's in the back. If I were playing it, I'd reverse it. Because the franchise agreement's the lease, right? That's the lease you're signing. And that's the agreement to use the trademarks and go into business. That's the contract. And so, once you sign the franchise agreement and pay your fee, as long as there was, as long as you got a proper FDD, it was properly disclosed, and there was nothing, uh, you know, and it was up to speed, it burns off, right? That's the booster rocket. That thing is gone. All you care about now is that franchise group. The reason I say that it's a protection also for the franchisor is that for the franchisor, and this, I, I, I have this, we'll call it a discussion with my emerging brands. You gotta get this document right. It's not just a piece of paper. If you don't really get it right and proper, then you're jeopardizing. That franchise agreement, which is the goal of this whole process, your whole business, our whole business, is to get an enforceable franchise agreement. If there's something wrong there, if you're not filed, if you gave them the right document, if one of the partners didn't find, if they didn't hold it for 14 days, a myriad of problems can happen. Now you call in the question whether or not that agreement's even enforceable, and you've just given them your trade secrets giving them your name, taunting them about the business. So I reverse it. I actually think the, franchise, the FDD, that document that we sort of hold that gets updated every year, that's a protection for the franchisor. That's the, that's the shield that protects all their intellectual property. Because if they mess that up, then they're giving away their secrets to someone who's essentially a stranger because they can just say, I'm walking. I'm going to change my name and I'm walking and I'm taking all the information you taught me, and I'm walking out the door with it. And that's what they should be afraid of. They're entrepreneurs, so they're not afraid of a lot of things. but we try to kind of get them into that mindset of um of why that document, it's just so important. and and um and so yeah, we 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 write lots of them. We spend a lot of time on getting that document right. Yeah, absolutely. Is it a true statement to say
0: that the FTD is really just a blown up version of the franchise agreement? Kind of more explaining in detail some of the items.
1: I think that- it's uh I I no I think it's more than that. I, I think that that's why I go back to that Venn that Venn diagram of the intersecting circles. So I think you have a portion of that. When's the renewal? When am I paying in the royalties? But there's a whole host of information in the FDD that doesn't show up in the franchise agreement. For instance. The training schedule, who are your trainers? the item two people, which is the management team, you know, go Google those folks, whether there's been lawsuits, none of that shows up in the franchise agreement. The affiliated parties, hey, am I buying the t shirts from uncle Sam, who you know from uncle Joe's related, and not that that stuff none of it should make you say yes or no. It's all a data point to sort of go into your hopper and put on a column, and you know no, nothing's going to be perfect, so yeah, no, I think they're. I think they're both doing different work and I think they both should be looked at in great detail by anybody who's going to sign a franchise agreement.
0: Very interesting. But you said the most important item in your opinion is item 20 with the list of franchise owners, right? So what are you looking for when you're looking at item 20?
1: Well, you're looking to tease out how these folks are, right? I mean, there's no, one's going to tell you the story better than someone who walked in your shoes. So you're gonna find people who've been in that business and they've been in the trenches with the franchisee and the franchisor, and you know they're gonna know, they're gonna say, yeah, you regret it. I think people get too focused on like, you should find, they're gonna be the ones who tell you how much money they're making. Look, if you wanna be a lawyer, and you call up 20 lawyers and you're and you're focused on how much money they make are you really going to learn what it's like to be a lawyer do they like it what's it like what's a day in the life is this something i can identify with it's the relationship questions you know you're, you're you know the difference between I, I item 19 is the other one with the financials but to me the financials are like one of those one of those uh, eight French paintings from the 1800s that my wife loves. It's like you take your glasses off and it's it's kind of foggy. It gets you in the direction. You're like, yeah, that's kind of a park and that's a bridge. That's what item 19 does. You know, is this a business that generates a couple hundred grand a year or a couple million dollars a year? Is it? Do some people make money? What's the approximate? But don't you know? Don't 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 hang your hat completely on that. The difference is you should just know that's just get you. But what you should hang your hat on. Is what are the people like? Can you identify? Have you, if you talk to one of these franchisees, can you see yourself in their shoes? Um, that is that. That's hard to do. It's hard to figure out. But that's what I think the journey should be. Is are you a cultural fit for this brand? And if you're a cultural fit, you have a way better chance of success because you're going to embrace it. You know, I I tell people when they ask me, well, what's it take to be a successful franchisee? If the franchisor says do this 10 times a week, do it 20. They're the ones who win in franchising. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. <laughs> I know it sounds pretty flip, but it's it's that simple. Double down on everything they tell you to do and you're probably going to be all right. Right, um, yeah, I love that. So everything you're saying, I'm just eating up. This is so great. And and
0: I agree with you. When I was in that smoothie concept with, with Michael back then, you know, he was like, you got to go out and, and you got you got to find locations because it was a special event. And I, and I, you know, we had these tiki huts on wheels we'd roll into like yeah. a street fair or whatever it might be. And, and I told him I was going to go and solicit the Jacob Javits Convention Center in Manhattan. And he said, uh, you're hunting, you're hunting elephants, my friend. I'll never forget this conversation. Don't <laughs> be disappointed. That afternoon I came back and I got the gig and it was our first gig, the Javits Center. It, it That's was, awesome. What? And all it was is a cold call. But I also called every other venue in New York, five boroughs, Long Island, Westchester. He said, call like five places. I, I
1: called like 25 places. And, and that's how I got it. It was just cold calls. I mean, that's, it's, that's being a successful franchisee. You know, you're totally right. And so to me, item 20 of the dot, even though I know it's from a legal standpoint, look, the franchise agreement it's going to be very strict. Beware of a franchise agreement that's not strict, by the way. That's the other kind of a take I have as a lawyer. People think like, oh, this guy's going to give me everything I've asked for. Well, then he's going to give the knucklehead down the street everything he asked for. And so that's not really going to help brand standards. You know, you're investing in a brand that you don't have control of the police. So you, it's not so great for you if they're going to give away the store, which is why, of course, and you know this, you should always have a franchise attorney look at that document if you're a buyer because they, we understand as franchise attorneys the, the relationship. So this is like a, there's a, hidden, there's a hidden party to every one of those agreements and that's the brand. And that's not written down in the agreement, but kind of is in the brand fund and this. But the reality is, back to my analogy of leasing a, a property, when you, when you have a landlord tenant relationship, I mean, except maybe you can make an argument on the neighborhood or the mall, whatever. But basically, you pay the rent, you get the space. Franchising is different. You have, you know, your, your, your Maui Maui is more valuable 10 years later because of the fact that Michael did such a good job growing that brand. So that meant more than it meant on day one. So your, your, your investment itself is in the brand at large. And, you know, you need brand standards. That's going to make yep. the value. That's a brilliant point, a really brilliant point. And people
0: just don't get that. You know, or not some people. And, yeah. and that is really important. It's just like I was sharing with somebody literally this morning, you know, they're like, oh, I'm really upset about, um, you know, personal guarantees and, and things like that. And it's like, you have to understand it's the franchisor has the right to get rid of. The numbskull who they let in by accident and is screwing up everything and is messing up your business, you're going to end up selling it for less with this numbskull down the street where you you could have done so much better if they if they
1: would just get rid of them. And and so and it's actually not it's actually kind of hard for a franchisor. So this is like the uh, you know the empathy piece is when you're a franchisee if you made a mistake if you're like this is a disaster. I can't believe it. I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually, I thought it was just a TV commercial, but I'm actually making the donuts at 5am. I can't believe I'm waking up and I'm actually doing this. I thought I would love it, but it turns out I hate making the donuts. Fine. Tom, let's sell this business. Let's go out and transfer this business. Not so, now you may take a hit, you may lose some money, but you're getting out. Now the franchisor, No matter all the strict language we put in, you're getting your firstborn, I'm doing a DNA test, we're going to crush you, blah, blah, blah. It's not so easy. It's not so easy as long as you pay your royalties and you don't do something crazy like change the brand name. But if you have the sign up and you're paying the royalties and you're just kind of a numbskull and you're like a C student or a B minus student, franchisor can't get rid of you. you. You know, I tell franchisors, you're like in France and you just hired somebody for life and you got to now pay their pension. So we got to be really careful the people you pick because no matter what we see in the agreement, it's not so easy to get rid of a, of a, of a mediocre to poor franchisee and they bring the whole system down and that, and they should be selective.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's important, And I love, it's just kind of a love, hate thing, but when a franchisor turns around and turns down a candidate that I'm working with, you know, it's, it sucks in the moment, but it really shows integrity. And as a lot of
1: the brands I work with, they just shut people down. Like, sorry, you're, we're not a good fit. And 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 they're the best brands to work with because, and they're smart and it's hard for a franchise who were to do that and they don't, you know, but the good ones, well, that's, you know, I, I've had, the, as I said, I mean, between Harold's practice and mine, I and mean, we've seen hundreds of brands go through and, you know, we talked about what makes a franchisee win to me, that's what, That's what makes a franchisor win. When they go slow, when they turn people down, when they're thinking about the big picture, uh, the unit economics are really what drive the value of a franchisor. And if they have a B player or a C player who just isn't doing a great job, um, it, it it has an exponential effect on their entire business.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we could get into that whole equation because there's an equation there, but yeah. um, but I want to turn a little bit toward um, kind of what you do with franchisors. Yeah. And so it's interesting because we're in, we're taping this in March. Um, and of course, this will be evergreen and play forever now, but um, we have the FDD renewal season upon us, which is kind of the bane of my and Franchise companies' existence because we can't sell franchises.
1: True, well, their- it's what pays for my kids' college. What's that? I said it is what has paid for my kids' college.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so tell us a little bit about this and how you're helping franchisors make it a little bit easier
1: because it is a pain it, in the butt. It is a pain in the butt. I mean, it's a process that we're always getting better at and managing, and and we've so f- most franchisees their fiscal year ends at the same time as the calendar year december 31st under federal law they have 120 days to update their fdd so by the end of april i just said it's late march now we're in the throes of it probably have half the clients done half of them still finishing up and once the fdd is updated if they're a national brand my we have our map states are red or they're green or they and for about a third of the states, there's some registration process where they have to then take the FDD, go or we take the FDD, go to the states. Hey, New York, we change the FDD's time, and so they're going to go what's called dark. It's 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 inevitable, and it's it's a it's impossible to have it be zero because when you give them the documents, your old document is now stale. So there's going to be a period of time either days or weeks or during the pandemic. Honestly, it was months, out-of-state franchisors in New York. We waited six months. Can you imagine how much my phone blew up and the grief we got? But it's first come, first serve, so there's a whole host of strategies that we have, soft strategies of how to get in front of the line, how to mitigate that. Like I said, we have personal relationships with the examiners. We know how to play the game pretty well, but it's still a game. One of the things that we did this year is we have now a software program because the key is you as a franchise development guy, you want, you transparency is the key, right? What creates anxiety, creates stress, and creates mistakes. And those mistakes can be devastating. If you sell a, you know, it's bad enough that you're dark and you're not selling a franchise, that's bad. But it's really bad if a deal gets done and they weren't registered properly, and they had the wrong document. So we, for the franchisors here, they know they manage this process. What we do is we essentially have created a platform. It's called our client access portal. The analogy is it's like online banking. So they have instant access to exactly the state of where everything stands. When we send a filing to Florida, New York, you know, one national client, you're pushing 16 filings out all at once it becomes a lot of data to manage. So instead of them sending us an email, hey, I'm waiting, when's Washington coming back or that? They get instant access. They see when we sent the filing. What happens is it's a game of yin and yang. So we'll get, it's kind of like you guys do the frickin' frack between franchisees. We do that with the state examiners. They'll send a letter back and they'll say, well, we don't like, you know, they'll send 10 comments, a new franchisor maybe 30 comments. And so we have to deal with those comments. They didn't like this and oh well the accountant sent the form in in the wrong way and you know we mostly have a handle on what they're going to ask but they're just you know they're justifying their jobs so they're always going to ask something. So you just have this back and forth and that creates anxiety. So we've just created a completely transparent platform where the the platform is looking at our internal software that we've spent a fair amount of money in a a number of years developing it's customized it's, trust me i wish i had something off the shelf but we're such a narrow industry that there was nothing that existed all the jargon and everything so we custom designed it from the ground up and so our clients now get a view into our basically back office so they don't have to ask and that it lowers the stress level like hey i see and then we also we kind of created best practices. So we explain, look, New York, you're gonna to have to wait this amount of time. This is what it typically takes. This is what they're asking for. And they and then they can communicate it to you instead of it being a fire drill. So it's worked pretty well. And it also manages the FDD update process because as I mentioned, there's 23 items plus a bunch of stuff in the front end on the cover pages, a bunch of stuff on the exhibits. And so we we can't update it unless can, our client gives us the data. And man, it's like doing your taxes or going to the dentist. Nobody wants to actually update and do this stuff. So we're chasing them for info, chasing them for info. So we created a platform that just centralizes it. You know, And some things we have to be reviewing. So we're reviewing it. We're waiting on info from the client or they're reviewing it and it just gamifies it. So it streamlines it. It makes it less stressful. And um, it's working out really well. Clients are super happy about it.
0: It's Brilliant. And uh, I think you're like the only people that are doing this.
1: So I, I think so. And and I'll tell you, one of the things that helps is that we have an incentive to do it because we don't charge hourly. So one of the separating points of us as a law firm is that dealing with those entrepreneurs, as I mentioned, we want to create incentives for them to call us, to ask us real questions, not just am I updated. So that flat all-in subscription model is conducive to us creating software that say, look, I don't want to waste the time either. You don't want to waste the time. Our interests are on the same page. Pay us our monthly fee and we'll take care of it efficiently and everybody can just go, go build their franchise. That's brilliant.
0: I love it. So, are you saying then um, there's 23 registration states um, or filing states? No, 23. It's like 16. So, do you need 16 different FDDS? Or that, does it have to be
1: specific for the state, like New York no. or Illinois or Washington? No. state? So, so there's one federal document. That document isn't filed anywhere. That's just like self-regulated. So, any of these green states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Once you have the federal document updated, you're good to go in those states. So, second we issue the document, two thirds of the states, you don't lose any time, those states. But then the other states, you file the FDD and they may request specific things. Hey, you have to change X, Y, and Z. And then we make a judgment call with our clients. Look, if we change this here, should we change it everywhere? And usually the changes aren't substantive. So, you end up with a the same FDD everywhere. And sometimes emerging brands will have two or three different FDDs. Um, and that becomes a pain to manage. Like I said, we manage that in our software. But the changes are, the states also will require a, uh, an addendum for their specific state. So like, hey, in Maryland, for instance, no matter what you say in the document of where you would have a dispute, Maryland says, if you're a franchisee in Maryland, you have the right to go to court in Maryland. So no matter what the document says, we're overriding that. And so there are clauses like that in the various states that, you know, we just kind of manage that process. So, no, the goal is to always have one unified document.
0: That's great. I mean, the, the reason, the bigger reason I also wanted to have you on is to to kind of share with people that are listening to the podcast that are thinking about franchising to note that this is like much bigger than just some franchise guy selling a franchise. You have these attorneys working on this kind of stuff. You got the International Franchise Association. This is like so much bigger and so much more dialed in than, than just you know some guy with a company trying to, you know, sell you a business.
1: So and the upside's bigger. And, <laughs> and that's exactly right. So to me, you know, don't do it unless you're gonna. You know, you're building a skyscraper, so you got to get the foundation right. And just like you said, if you're just going to open the second restaurant, double or triple, it goes back to what we started with. Just open another restaurant. Don't franchise, because if you franchise and you do it wrong, you're risking all that intellectual property. Someone else can run away with your name and your know-how. If you're trying to build something that's literally worth tens of millions of dollars, you should be realistic. About the steps and the dollars and the time and the patient and the energy, you're gonna to have to build. Although you're hard pressed, except maybe for software. And unless you are like are super lucky, or you're like, you know, okay. Elon Musk, you're hard pressed to find a business that can take a mom and pop business. Invest a couple hundred thousand dollars in four or five years, and in 10 years, that thing is worth $20 million. There's not many businesses like that that have that kind of residual income. So That's why you franchise. And I love to put people on that journey. And realistically, only one out of five, one out of four get those kind of numbers. Most of them don't. They pick the wrong franchisees. They don't fail, per se, but they don't like franchising. They just go back to running their business because they don't like the six unruly kids, as Harold said, running around. But those are pretty good odds, right? Buy a lottery ticket for hundred grand with a $20 million payoff in 10 years. I mean, one out of five shot. It's not bad. Yeah, no, it's great,
0: and and the ripple effect of helping people and creating jobs and communities and and all of that stuff like we didn't even sure. talk about it is just so great in the
1: world of franchising and, and that's it's entrepreneurship, is. right? I mean, it, talk about the bedrock of the American dream. I mean, you want to control your destiny. Well, I mean, I'll ask you that, Tom. You're you've been now an entrepreneur as both a franchisee and and as a consultant. Compare that emotionally to working for. Not that there's anything wrong with working for somebody or a big organization, but how do you feel emotionally in terms of that? Well,
0: yeah, it's a great question. And and it's, you know, it's it's like owning, um it's like owning an apartment. Like if you have a job, it's like renting an apartment, right? right. It, it's great, it's cool, you could decorate it, paint it your colors, but it's not yours. And one day you're gonna be kind of out. Um in a in a house, you gotta save up the down payment, you gotta. Shop. You got to buy the right house in the right neighborhood. Now you're gonna build it. You're gonna have it. You're gonna raise your kids there. You know you're gonna have it as long as you you know have pay the bills. You know, but it sucks when the roof leaks. You got to fix it. You don't call <laughs> anybody. You don't call the super. You know, it, it's it's kind of like that. So twenty years later, well, you know, I just sold my house in Long Island after twenty nine years, and and it was like it's very emotional. There's so many. Things that happened there, good, bad, everything, but just you know, I built it. I did it. You know, it was like it's it's just an, I can't put it in words. As you could tell, it's just you did an amazing feeling. <laughs> and, I, and I had a great job back in the day. You know, working for the transit system, but I but I chose to control my own destiny, as you said, um, make a difference. And now, literally, I've had. Two of my past employees from 20 years ago call me to buy franchises. That's awesome. It's like, and and now they're married with kids. And and when they're working for me, they were 18 and 19 or whatever. Now, you know, it's like, it's just so great, man. It is great. Just can't put it in words. I I had one couple who actually met working, you know, slinging smoothies for me and, and got married. Um, you know, if I didn't start that business, would they have ever met? You know, you, I think about things like that. It's cool. No,
1: I, I agree. And to be part of that journey and to watch other people sort of, I mean, look, I have my business, my partner and I, and we love it. I mean, you get your, you're, you're coaching, your helping, and you're watching people really, really fulfill their own dream and destiny. And, and if we can just play our part, keep them safe, keep them online, that is, um, I, I like going to work every day. It's, it's never dull. I mean, you work with entrepreneurs, it's never dull. That's for sure. That is so true. Well, Tom, I, I don't want to
0: keep you. I know that you have FDDs to file. And- <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming
1: on the show. This has just been a delight. How could people get in touch with you? You know, I think going to our website is probably the uh, the best way. SpadiaLaw.com is uh, is a good way. And uh, and also on LinkedIn. I mean, if you're in franchising and ever let's... S-P-A-D-E-A, look up Tom Spady, a franchise, and, um, and I'm sure you'll find me and connect with me, send me a note, send me a message. It's a small industry, right? I mean, we've known each other for a number of years. You run into people. So if you want to be involved in franchising, and I don't, even if I'm not, you know what I do, and you know if you need my services professionally, and don't worry, I'll ask you at the appropriate time. But if you just have a question, and you just want to ask a question about franchising, I'm not going to be sending you an engagement letter. Just I love to help, especially if you're new to this industry and you just want to ask me a question, reach out. You, know, you pay it forward. A lot of people did that to me when I got started, and I love to do it back. You know, the
0: franchise industry is an industry of paying it forward. That's one thing that I 100%. took away. You know, as we go to these meetings all over the country and we see each other, and you, you know, we see, you know, competing franchise owners, you know, two CEOs of, you know, like a McDonald's and a Burger King, sitting at the same table, Amazing. talking about, you know, the state of the industry and sharing, you know, interesting stories. That is, you know, when I saw that the first time ever, I was like, holy cow.
1: It's it, amazing. It's different it, than corporate it, America. It, it, it. And whoever started that, everybody just embraces it and it's kept going forward. And uh, it's one of the things I love about this industry. You, you feel like we're competing against mother nature. We're all here to just survive and thrive. And if, uh, and we're not, we're not trying to take it out of even our competitors. We're all just trying to move forward. So great. Well, Tom, again, thank you so
0: much for everything. We will talk again. And uh, for those listening, if you want to find out more from Tom, go to my website, thefranchiseacademy.com. All of Tom Spadia's information will be on there and uh, all the contact information for the law firm. So again, thanks so much and have a great day. Take care.
1: This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarter's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.